Do physicians need to rethink how we reach decisions with surrogates? You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me is Dr. Alexei Torkey. Dr. Torkey is the Assistant Professor of Medicine at Indiana University, Research Scientist at the Indiana Center of Aging, and also the Director of the Ethics Fellowship at the Fairbanks Center for Medical Ethics. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Recently, you had a paper in the Journal of Clinical Ethics, which focused on this whole tension that may exist between doctors and surrogates. But before we get to that, could you tell me, as a background, how have we dealt with surrogates, and what is the standard bioethical approach to surrogate decision-making? Well, the basic issue is that a lot of adults at some point during their medical care, lose the ability to make their own medical decisions. And ethicists have tried to come up with a standard framework to help physicians and family members when they're making decisions for these patients. And the standard approach has generally involved three standards. The first one is advanced directives, where we ask individuals to indicate the kind of care they would want to have if they ever became unable to make decisions in the future. So this is something that we ask people to do before they lose their capacity, and then we can rely on these documents for decision-making. Unfortunately, most people don't have these documents, and so we often have to turn to the second standard, which is called substituted judgment. And in this standard, the surrogate attempts to make the decision that the patient would have made, and this can be based either on statements that the patient has made or even on their general beliefs and values. In some cases, we don't really know what patients would have wanted at all. And then we turn to the third standard of best interests, in which decision makers try to determine what's best for the patient overall, usually using their own judgment and their own values. Well, this is what we all learned in medical school. But hasn't there been a lot of criticism about how this actually plays out at the bedside? Yeah, there has been. And there are really at least three main arguments for why this approach is problematic. The first is that when people have done studies in which they asked surrogates and patients to indicate the kinds of therapies they would want in certain situations, they found that surrogates are actually pretty inaccurate. The way they generally do these studies is that they'll take a patient into a room and ask them a question about the kind of care they would want if they had a particular medical condition. And then they take the patient's presumed surrogate decision maker into another room and ask them what they would do for the patient in that circumstance. And they found that there's a lot of disagreement. In fact, overall, physicians and surrogates probably only agree about 68% of the time. And so the first problem is that surrogates are just really not very good at predicting what patients would have wanted. A couple other concerns. One is that patients even change their own mind over time. There have been several studies that have asked patients at time one to indicate the kind of treatment they would want for a particular medical condition and have then gone back and asked them later. And they find that a lot of people really do change their minds. And it makes sense given that their health conditions change. The third problem is that patients actually want their families and physicians to have leeway in decision-making if the patient were ever to lose the ability to participate. So patients really want their surrogates to have some choice in the matter. So those are three things that really kind of pose a challenge to the idea that we should rely on patient wishes as our first standard for surrogate decision-making. Do doctors themselves have a problem with this? I know this is your research. How do doctors go about responding that this isn't really working out the way I thought it would? You know, what we found in our research is that we did ask physicians to articulate what they thought was the standard ethical approach. And by and large, they described that three-step process. 
But then when we separately asked them to describe what they'd done for a recent patient, there was much more variety in their approach. So I'm not sure that the physician would necessarily be able to say, I know this is the right approach, but I wasn't able to follow it for one reason or another. But what we find is that even though they're aware of the standard textbook approach, when it comes to making a decision for a real patient, their approach is much more complex. When you interview these doctors, were there any particular themes that arose that you could focus on and deal with? When we asked them to describe the most recent patient for whom they'd made a surrogate decision, we found that they did use the standard ethical approaches to some extent. So there were, for example, physicians who really said, I tried to do what the patient would have wanted or indicated that they encouraged the family to do what the patient would have wanted. And other times, they explicitly used the phrase best interest. I really tried to do what was in the patient's best interest or I tried to steer the family towards what was in the patient's best interest. One thing we found, though, is that some patients relied primarily on patient wishes and some relied primarily on best interest. And sometimes they didn't seem to have insight into why they chose one or the other. In addition to those major categories, we found that physicians also considered the surrogate's wishes and interests, which really doesn't appear anywhere in the traditional framework. So, for example, sometimes a physician would ask a family member, what do you think we should do here? And they would just take the family member's statement at face value without really exploring whether it was based on any kind of patient-centered principle such as patient wishes. And then there was a third, I think, where the physician himself began to rely on his clinical judgment and what he personally felt was right for the patient. Yeah, we did find that to be the case. A lot of times in the traditional frameworks and even in some state laws, the surrogate is supposed to be the one who speaks for the patient. And so the surrogate, meaning the family member or or significant other, is supposed to articulate both what would be best for the patient and also what the patient's wishes were. But we found that physicians also thought that they ought to play a role in determining what was best for the patient. And they justified this based on a couple of things. One was their clinical expertise. So they really thought that because of their clinical background, they were able to best understand what was going to happen to the patient, what was a likely outcome, and that the they should bring that input into the decision-making. And the second thing is that physicians really felt a duty to determine what was best for the patient, and in some cases, even to try to convince the surrogate of what they thought was best. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Alexi Torque. Dr. Torque is the Assistant Professor of Medicine at Indiana University and Director of Ethic Fellowships at the Fairbanks Center for Medical Ethics. And we're talking about the tension that may develop between physicians and surrogates. And certainly, I personally have always found this to be one of the most difficult situations in medicine. It's so much easier to deal with a competent patient and direct them or at least give them your advice. Now you're dealing with a person that possibly has never seen you before. You know, I know that in your article, you talked about clinical judgment and the physician always wanting to do what was right for the patient. I wonder, though, there were several different kinds of physicians in your paper. And if we just focus on interns as opposed to attending men, did you notice any difference in how they dealt with it? Some of these interns, this might be the first patient they had ever had to deal with as far as a surrogate that were part of your research. Others might have been an attending man who had gone through this many, many times. Did you see any difference there? You know, unfortunately, because this was a very small study really involving 20 people, we weren't able to sort out those differences. We did find that when interns were involved in decision-making, they often sought advice from their residents or attendings. 
And a couple of the attendings that we interviewed described giving advice to their teams about how to do surrogate decision-making well. So we did find that there was a discussion among the team, but in future research, we do want to look a little bit at whether there are differences between the experience of those physicians who are more junior and those who are more senior as far as their approach to decision-making. The other thing that struck me when I read your paper was, and this has to do with really my personal contact with my colleagues, how often physicians don't deal with their own mortality on a personal level, that many of them don't have living wills, many of them don't know who their surrogate would be, many of them have never been surrogates. I wonder how their own personal experience motivates them to their contact with other surrogates. You know, I think it would be interesting to explore that. We didn't specifically explore that in the study, but it certainly is the case that many physicians do not have living wills or other advanced directive documents, and they certainly mirror the general population that a lot of people don't fill these documents out and don't have them available when they become seriously ill. But I think that would be a great question for future research is the extent to which physicians own experiences, their willingness or lack of willingness to deal with their own mortality might affect their interactions with family members. I'm sat on many ethics committees, as you have, and this often comes up and you ask people at the table to raise their hand if they have living wills or advanced directives, and it's always amazing. And of course, this mirrors, I think, the whole medical profession. There is an undercurrent about dealing with their mortality that I think doctors don't want to necessarily deal with, and then it expands into how they deal with patients personally. And I'm sure you've, you know, experienced this same thing. I'd like to ask you, you know, we have no problem dealing with competent patients as far as how to direct them, how to give them information, how to give them choices, what we think is the best thing for them. Why is it different when we deal with a surrogate? Why, if we're doing this with competent patients, why shouldn't we do it with people who are standing supposedly in the shoes of the patient? Well, I think you're absolutely right that spending time counseling and supporting the surrogate is an extremely important part of surrogate decision-making. I think the reason why we haven't paid as much attention to that has at least two reasons. One is that we've tended to view the surrogate sort of as a mouthpiece for the patient or as an objective individual who's going to help us make decisions for the patient who can't speak for themselves. And in reality, the surrogate is often a close family member or close friend of the patient's and is dealing with an incredibly stressful situation. Often it's a loved one who might be at risk of dying or might be seriously ill. And in many cases, the surrogate decision maker is having to cope with all of that while making very difficult decisions. So I think that conceiving of the surrogate as sort of an objective, emotionless decision maker is a big mistake. I think the second issue is because we focus so much attention on advanced care planning, we haven't focused enough attention on the process that actually has to occur when the surrogate really has to make a decision together with the physician. So in my research, I'm trying to pay more attention to the time when decisions actually have to be made rather than the time when advanced care planning might occur. The other thing when I read the various scenarios that you described was that very often physicians seem to mix ethics and clinical judgment. They'll give a reason which they think is their clinical judgment, and it often sounds like an ethical approach, and the opposite was also true. Do you find that doctors seem to merge this in a complex way? Yes, I think that's true. In fact, sometimes I would be surprised when I would ask one of the subjects a question about why they took a certain action or why they thought a particular 
type of care was best for the patient, and they would give me an answer that was entirely clinical when I expected an answer that would be based on ethical principles. And it made me realize that in the minds of many physicians, those two are very closely aligned. I think that probably makes sense in some situations in which, for example, our judgments of best interest should be based on a patient's clinical condition and their prognosis and what to expect in the future. But I think it's important that physicians be able to recognize the types of principles or the type of knowledge they're relying on when they make an important decision and be able to identify when they're basing something on an ethical judgment versus on a clinical judgment. I want to thank Dr. Alexa Torkey for being with us today. We've been discussing this very complex issue of reworking and relooking at ethical frameworks for surrogate decision-making, a problem that's going to become more and more frequent as our population ages. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. And if you have comments or suggestions, please call us at 888-MD-XM-160. Thank you for listening.